You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Brenda Evers was born on December 16, 1963. She grew up in a seemingly idyllic home in Enid, Oklahoma. The Evers were devout Christians who enjoyed gathering for family meals, holding group prayers, and living a quiet life. Brenda was a good student who always earned above average grades. As she got older, friends remembered her as a shy, quiet girl who spent much of her time spare time at church and helping others. In junior high, Brenda took up baton twirling and attended local <laughs> football games. But unlike her friends, once the games ended, she skipped the parties and headed home. I believe that she's she was Lutheran. And then her future husband, Rob Andrew, I believe that he grew up Baptist. And... They actually met in high school. Well, she he was a year older than her. He used to do a lot of swimming, and he used to go to the university nearby and swim in the pool a lot. And so he was there one day with his brother, and she was actually a lifeguard at the time. And she started chatting up the brother and was like, hey, I'd really like to meet that guy over there. And so he went over and he was like, hey, uh, there's a lifeguard over there that wants to meet you and then they just like immediately hit it off they started dating exclusively and they i believe he was a senior at the time and she was a junior and then they started dating just like all into their college years she had enrolled in college in winfield kansas but then a year later she went ahead and transferred to osu in stillwater in order to be closer to Rob, who was going to OSU for advertising at the time. They eventually got married on June 2nd, 1984. <laughs> I don't know if we mentioned, this is like back, 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 like 30 years back. So, <laughs> and they lived in Oklahoma City. Rob accepted a position in Texas as an advertising exec. And he actually, this was his first ever, like... Big boy job. Yes, big boy <laughs> job. And in the field that he graduated in. So he didn't really want to pass it up. So they he persuaded her into relocating to Texas. After a few years... They really wanted to go back to Oklahoma. That's where their family, their old friends and stuff were. And uh, Brenda had actually become accustomed with life in Texas. She really seemed to like it there. Yeah. She had a job that she liked. I believe she was working at a bank there. She had a lot of friends. The relationship kind of went sour when Rob went ahead and accepted a job in Oklahoma City. To her knowledge, they had agreed that they were not going to do that, that they weren't going to move back to Oklahoma because she liked it in Texas. And he kind of went ahead and accepted this job behind her back as an advertising or at an advertising agency in Oklahoma City. 
So, and this was like big time because he handled clients, including Disney at this time. He kind of stepped into a six figure income and I, I don't really blame him for being like, okay, you know, 40,000 a year is great, but six figures is dope. So yeah, I'm going back to Oklahoma city. Follow your dreams, baby. Brenda was so mad that she decided to stay in Texas and they were actually legally separated for a few months. She eventually decided to get back with them and, and move to Oklahoma as well. There, he like could almost immediately afford this grand, large, beautiful, huge two-story home in a really nice, prominent neighborhood in Oklahoma City. And sh- they kind of talked about going ahead and starting a family. Cut to December 23rd, 1990. So December 23rd, 1990, the Andrews welcomed their first child, Tricity. And with that, Brenda became a stay-at-home mom, leaving her job and work pals behind. Four years later, their second child, Parker, was born. But by then, Rob and Brenda's marriage was in deep trouble as Brenda was a stay-at-home mother and Rob was gone on business for months at a time. Brenda began to feel lonely and disconnected from her partner, and she had grown exponentially resentful towards Rob and began acting out. She had never been with anyone else. And we're talking relationship-wise and sexually. Never been with anyone else. So in 1994, Brenda had seemingly undergone a transformation. A lot of people actually described it as a as a midlife crisis. Yeah, I read that a lot. Several reporters. Yeah. 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 Um, I like to say she lost her religion because she grew up in a very prominent religion with a prominent religious background with these high morals and high, you know, and he was the same way, which was one of the biggest reasons why they took to each other, because they had the same views about most things in life, including religion. So, and she was like shy and conservative, and she actually just swapped out her modest attire for an extremely provocative look that was usually like really tight dresses, really, really short dresses, really, really revealing. And she would just go out on the town. She began with simple trips because she had never done this before. Where she would just dress up like she was going to a party or something. And then she would call a babysitter while her husband was out of town. And she would tell them that like she needed to go grocery shopping or she needed to go get her hair done. Stuff like that. And we don't actually know if she was actually going grocery shopping or getting her hair done. We're not really sure where exactly she was going. I assume that she was kind of tiptoeing around town, testing the waters on where she would eventually end up going, like bars and stuff, you know? Because when she would come home, she wouldn't have groceries. Like, the babysitter attested to that. That's what she started out doing. Later, she determined that she wanted to experience more than just her husband, if you get my drift. And she began a series of affairs. A series. <laughs> Lemony Snicket's series of midlife affairs. Precisely. She was looking for some Fifty Shades of Grey type 
to say the least. (laughs) Um, Because a lot of people described it as her wanting... um, How do I say this? Not bland? (laughs) Yeah, she wanted some dangerous type stuff. She wanted to um, try things she'd never tried and... In October uh, 1997, Brenda began an affair with Rick Nunley, the husband of a friend she'd worked with at an Oklahoma bank. Let's use the term friend loosely here. And Rick would go on hunting trips with Rob. Side dish goes on hunting trips with husband. According to Nunley, the affair lasted until the following spring, although the two continued to stay in contact by phone afterwards. Rob had actually become aware of this affair by early 1998 as he drove by Rick's house and saw Brenda's car there. He became enraged and got out of his car, went up to the door and knocked. After minutes with no answer, Brenda finally came to the door. She claimed she was there to help Rick's daughter bake cookies. Oh, there's another code word. Since he couldn't prove anything, he left without a fight. Soon, Brenda ends her affair with Rick. So he he was on to this. And I think that when he went over there, he thought he was going to catch them in the act. And he probably would have if he had been more, um, I don't know, aggressive about it. Instead of just walking up and knocking on the door. Like you're selling Girl Scout cookies. That gives people time to do whatever and answer the door when they can. Ex- like, that's exactly. Not- this was, what do we say, 98 not too long after, in 99, oh. there was a man named James Higgins. Quit. He was actually married to his high school sweetheart, and he was working at a grocery store when he met Brenda. She came in to just, you know, peruse the goods, apparently. And he was actually according to family and friends, pretty happy in his home life and his marriage. And she kind of took this as some sort of weird ass challenge to make him unfaithful. He actually later testified that she had showed up at the store where he was working in a low cut top and very short skirt. And they flirted with each other. She came back the day after and handed him a hotel key. She told him to meet her there and said, quote, you passed the test. What Whatever the- that makes. He did it. He went and met her there. Yeah. <laughs> like no. she's some sort of evil temptress and she gave me mm-hmm. a key. She just made me go over there. And- no. And that affair actually continued for like six months. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. They met several times a week. At this same hotel and then at different hotels. It was always at a hotel until May 2001 when she told him that it wasn't fun anymore. According to his friends, by the way, he was actually like starting to fall in love with her. Oh my God. They also remained friends. He was actually hired to do household renovations by her husband at one point for them at their big ass house afterwards, like after the affair ended. He actually said later that she had a quote, insatiable appetite for sex. In retrospect, a lot of people thought that this was like her getting what she needed, filling her uh, fantasies or whatever, and that she would be done with it. And she actually was two years. 
because she went back to like wearing her modest outfits and she became a Bible study teacher. She was going to church all the time. She wasn't wearing provocative things anymore. No more affairs. Brenda begins teaching Bible study at a church. And two years later, Brenda seems, like you said, to be a changed woman. She'd met all her sexual needs. She goes back to being her old self again. Then she meets James. We're going to call him Pavit. For if anyone knows this story or these people and it's Pavot, please excuse me. But to read it, it just doesn't come off like Pavot. So I'm calling him Pavot. Sorry if you hate it. Forgive me. He's a <laughs> life insurance agent, the newest member of her church congregation at North Point Baptist Church. Pavot and Rob <laughs> became friends. Pavot actually spent time with the Andrews and their children at the family home. Pavot was also in the military. He was in the Air Force, right? I think I can't Anyways, remember. I think um, he was Air Force. And the attraction that Brenda kindles for him <laughs> is all in his bad boy persona. He could often be overheard bragging about his covert operations and how many people he'd killed while serving. Brenda ate this up and she reverted to her sexual deviance. In mid-2001, Pavitt, who had been teaching Sunday school alongside Brenda, brings his work to church. Yeah, his um, his uh, life insurance stuff. He started searching for new clients at church. He finds a client in Rob and helps Rob set up a life insurance policy worth $800,000 that named Ooh. Brenda as sole beneficiary. Around the same time... Brenda and Pavitt launched a steamy affair. By all accounts, they did little to hide it, even at the church. In fact, one Sunday, as they sat in the pew, Rob on one side of Brenda and Pavitt on the other, churchgoers began to notice that Brenda and Pavitt are acting more like a married couple than her and her husband. Just out Uh. of Rob's view, they were holding hands and brushing each other's legs. The (laughs) preacher took Rob aside and asked him if something was going on with them. And Rob began confiding about his failing marriage to his friends and pastor. He had told them that he was really worried for their marriage and that they had not had sex in years and that he had been sleeping on the couch. And friends would later testify that Brenda was verbally abusive to Rob, often telling him that she hated him and that their marriage had been a mistake. Being a Christian, Rob wanted to save the marriage as he thought this was the only choice he had. So September 16th, 2001... Rob confronts Pavitt in the church parking lot after service and tells him to leave him and his wife alone. Brenda and Pavitt were soon told their services as Sunday school teachers were no longer needed. For a voluntary position, they got fired. Yes, and and like they, okay, so they were teaching sixth grade Sunday school there together. Like not, they didn't have separate classes. They had the same class. They were teaching like co-teaching. And they were, like, starting to do that. You were just talking about in the church pew in the class in front of sixth graders. And it was making them uncomfortable. They're like, (laughs) they eventually went and told. She blamed Rob and his confrontation with Pavitt. She actually kicked Rob out of the house for this reason. And she soon filed for divorce in early October. Yes, it's your husband's fault that you're blatantly cheating on him with another guy in your church in front of sixth graders and God and everybody. Literally. So poor guy. When her divorce papers were filed, Brenda became more vocal about her disdain for her estranged husband. She told friends that she hated Rob and wished that he was dead. 
By then, Pevitt had divorced his wife. Evidence would later show that Brenda bought her a plane ticket out of the country. And I will bet you anything it's because of what she's planning to do. So on October 26th, 2001, a few days before Rob's divorce proceedings with his wife, he leaves his apartment, gets in his car, he begins to drive and realizes that someone has severed the brakes on his car. He actually makes it because like he was kind of one of, he's like a driver like me. Like I don't go very fast. I kind of put along. He realized it really quickly. He makes it to a mechanic shop where the mechanic there checks into it and makes this discovery. Not hours later, he's gotten his car fixed. He returns home. Well, I say he gets two calls by two different people. The first one saying that Brenda and his kids had been in a car accident and were in the hospital and he needed to be at the hospital. He rushes to the hospital. They are literally nowhere to be found. They haven't been admitted. No one has seen or heard from them. Doesn't know what he's talking about. He goes home. He gets another call. They say the same thing. It's a different voice. Says the same thing. And he's like, okay, well, I'll check into it. Well, this time, he he kind of figures out that someone is wanting him to, like, rush out to his car. He puts it together, two and two. My brakes were out. This is, this is some sort of plot. They're trying to get me to get in my car and rush to the ER in such a panic that I won't notice that my brakes are out. And I'll have a freaking car accident. Someone's trying to freaking kill him. He actually calls the police. He tells them. He just immediately suspects his wife and Pavitt. Like, immediately. <laughs> he tells the police this. He says that they're trying to kill him for his insurance money. And the police tell him that there's nothing that they can do. Law has their hands tied in so many ways when it comes to shit like that. It sucks. I guess they could have looked to see who the calls came from. But even then, that wouldn't prove who cut the cut the brake lines. Yeah, so. and that's why people need to hire... If you think something is suspect like that, you need to hire a private investigator, someone who is dedicated... Like, like me! Their, <laughs> yes, their time is dedicated to that person. According to Jana Larson, Pavitt's daughter, her dad persuaded her to call Rob from an untraceable phone. Oh, there you go. That's why. Well... Um, and claimed that Brenda was in the hospital in Norman, Oklahoma, and needed him immediately. And then an unknown mail caller phoned Rob that morning, the same. I don't know who the unknown mail was. I never saw anywhere where anyone admitted that they were the unknown mail caller or knew the unknown mail caller. I am going to assume that it was probably Pavitt just doing a voice or something. I don't know. So during the divorce hearing, five days after the break incident, Rob meets Brenda for their divorce proceedings. He ends up giving her everything in hopes of making her happy enough to not try anything again. So she <laughs> takes the house with a paid off mortgage, the kids and the money. He refuses to leave Brenda on as the beneficiary to his life insurance. You think? Insisting it should be changed to his kids. He's right. She reportedly gets very angry and lashes out. She can be heard screaming, it's mine. Tries to remove Brenda 
from his life insurance policy and make his brother the new beneficiary. Pavitt, however, told Rob the policy couldn't be changed because Brenda owned it. It was later discovered that Brenda and Pavitt had attempted to transfer ownership of the insurance policy to Brenda without Rob's knowledge by forging his signature and backdating it to March 2001. 18 years at this point that they'd been together. Not willing to take Pavitt's word, Rob called Pavitt's supervisor, who assured him mm-hmm. that he was the owner of the policy. Rob confided to the supervisor that he thought Pavitt and his wife were trying to kill him. When Pavitt discovered Rob had spoken to his boss, he flew into a rage, warning Rob not to try to get him fired from his job. At this point, <laughs> Rinda and Pavitt believed their forgery worked, when in fact it did not. So he's having this conversation with the supervisor, and like Pavitt's like, Haha, gotcha, but didn't got you exactly did not did not gotcha gotcha. (laughs) so thanksgiving week rob goes to pick up his kids for thanksgiving it's his turn to have them for this particular holiday according to brenda she met rob in the driveway and she asked him if he would come into the garage and light the pilot light on the furnace for her because it had gone out Prosecutors believe that when Rob bent down to light the furnace, Pavitt jumped out from nowhere and shot him, then handed Brenda the 16-gauge shotgun that they believe he was shot with. She took a second shot at Rob, and her shot is the one that actually killed him. It was up close and personal. Pavitt then pulls out a 22 and shoots Brenda in the arm, in an effort to make it look like she is a victim as well, and then takes off. Brenda then calls 911. She is like in no way distressed when she calls 911. Uh, she is like super calm, cool, and collected. She said, My husband's been shot. Please send help. Basically, almost just like that. Oh my God. Yeah. And the operator was like, I'm sorry, what happened? And she said, uh, two men in, in black masks shot my husband, um, and then they shot me, and I need help now. Send to, and then she just gives the address. It was very weird. So when police arrived, Brenda told them that two armed masked men dressed in black had come into the garage and attacked Rob and then shot him and then shot her as she was trying to run away. And then they fled the scene. So to police, almost immediately, her behavior seemed strange. She was seemingly hyperventilating when she spoke to the police and then all of a sudden would just stop and get really calm. And this was like uh, from an interview from one of the police officers. She forgot to keep hyperventilating. Yes. She, yes. That's kind of what happened. Like, and she would do this hyperventilating um breathing like (gasps) and then she would just like stop and the police were like i have never seen this in my career she also showed no concern for her husband whatsoever the police said that she didn't even ask them one single time if he was dead or alive another weird thing was that the kids were still there in the home and they were actually found in a bedroom watching television that someone had turned the volume up on the TV like extremely high 
They couldn't hear anything outside the bedroom. They had no idea what was happening, what was going on. They also noted that it didn't appear as if there were any bags packed at all. They were supposed to go stay with their dad for a week for Thanksgiving, and they didn't have anything packed or ready for it. Investigators were told that Rob owned a 16-gauge shotgun, but that Brenda had refused to let him take it when he moved out. They searched the Andrews home, but didn't find the shotgun. The next-door neighbors were out of town when the murder took place, but upon coming back home, they found odd things askew in the house and called police. A search of the Andrews next-door neighbor's home revealed there was no forced entry, and someone had entered the attic through an opening in a bedroom closet. A spent 16-gauge shotgun shell was found in the bedroom floor, and several 22 caliber bullets were found in the attic. Like I think they fell out of pockets. So the neighbors had left Brenda a key to their house, and the shotgun shell found in the neighbor's home was the same brand and gauge as the shell found in Andrew's garage. The assumption was that after the murder, the killer had taken refuge in their home to wait for police to leave. This person being Pavitt, who was given the key by Brenda. The next piece of incriminating evidence came from Pavitt's daughter, Jana, who had lent her car to her father on the day of the murder after he'd offered to have it serviced. When her father returned the car the following morning, Jana realized it hadn't been serviced and found a 22 caliber bullet on the floorboard. You're dumb in every room you go into. Oh. <laughs> So the 22 caliber round in Jana's car was the same brand as the three 22 caliber rounds found in the neighbor's attic. Pavitt told her to throw it away. Investigators later learned that Pavitt had purchased a handgun the week before the murder. So Rob's shotgun is never recovered, nor is the shotgun that killed him. It was determined that the 16 gauge, or he was killed by a 16 gauge shotgun. He also owned a 16 gauge shotgun that was never recovered, nor was the murder weapon. Nine days after the murder, Pavitt and Brenda were formally charged with murder and a warrant put out for their arrest. When they go to arrest them, they had vanished. Within that time, that nine days, Rob's funeral was held. Brenda did not show up. To her own husband's funeral, where she says he was murdered. So they actually report this to the police. The police think this is freaking weird. They go to the home to try to arrest her because they put out these warrants. She's not there. They're gone. She's gone. Her kids are gone. Pavitt's gone. They actually took off to Mexico. Pavitt calls his daughter from Mexico asking her to send him money because the police actually put a hold on all of their bank accounts. And at this time, he's totally unaware that his daughter is cooperating with the FBI in this investigation and her phone is tapped. He makes several phone calls. Like, I believe the first time she actually did send him money, she sent him like $500 or something. And then the second time she said, I don't have any more money for you. And he actually threatens to kill her, his own daughter. She says, I don't have anything to send. He hangs up on her. Three months later, February 2002, having run out of funds, Pavitt and Brenda re-enter the United States and are arrested in Hidalgo, Texas. That's down there. So the following month, they were extradited to Oklahoma City. The 
makeshift family, I should say, had been actually living out of that car for months. Like, them and the kids. She made those kids live out of a car for three months. What actually happened was Brenda asked Rob to light her pilot light in the garage. He bent over. Pavit comes out, shoots him with his own shotgun, I'm assuming, then turns to Brenda and shoots her with the pistol after Brenda shoots Rob the second time. Pavit then runs to the neighbor's house, unlocks it with the key that Brenda gave him, and hides there until the police leave. James Pavitt and Brenda Andrew were charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. In separate trials, they were both found guilty and received death sentences. Brenda has never shown remorse for her part in the murder of her husband and claims she's innocent. On the day Brenda was formally sentenced, she looked directly at Oklahoma County District Judge Susan Bragg and said that the verdict and sentence were an egregious miscarriage of justice and that she was going to fight until she was vindicated uh on june 21st 2007 brenda's appeal was denied by the oklahoma court of criminal appeals by a vote of four to one on april 15th 2008 the u.s supreme court rejected andrew's appeal of an earlier court decision upholding her conviction and sentence without comment brenda andrew remains on death row in the mabel bassett correctional center in mcleod oklahoma Date has been set for Brenda's execution, but the state in 2015 was trying to move from lethal injection to a gas chamber and several death row inmates got temporary stays. Brenda Evers Andrew currently does not have a set date for execution and is the only woman currently on death row in Oklahoma. Last but not least, there's a twist and you're going to love it. Guess what? It's later discovered that after Pavitt took out the insurance policy on Rob and named Brenda as the sole inheritor, Brenda went behind his back to another insurance, a life insurance agent, and took out a policy on Pavitt for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Brenda had never intended to live happily ever after with Pavitt after all. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?